It's time for the So She Did Podcast, where we discuss how you can live a life that sets your soul on fire. By focusing on your passions, finding and staying intensely motivated, dealing with the pressures and responsibility of everyday life, and realizing your full potential so that you can achieve excellence both professionally and personally. Directly from the So She Did studio in Denver, Colorado, please welcome your hostess, leadership expert, life coach, corporate sales leader, and author, Kristen Esparza. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining the So She Did podcast today. This is Kristen Esparza, your host, and I am joined by Christine Mayo, author of Through Blind Eyes, the book. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can see the book on my screen. Um, and she is also a podcaster. So I would like to alert our listeners today that there will be some sensitive topics that we discuss in today's podcast. So if you have little ears, it's probably best to listen to this when they're not around or have them leave the room because we will be talking about some sensitive topics today. So welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so I'm so blessed and honored to be here. I, I, I've been I've you know, I've been following you and I've been reading all your stuff and I'm like, she's got it going on. Yeah. It's, it's truly an honor. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I'm so glad you're here. The first time that you and I talked, I think we, we really hit it off. We really connected. And since then, I have read your book. And, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about that book, about what your story is. But the first thing I want to point out is in the introduction of the book, it says that this is the story that has no ending. It just is. And I really love your authenticity. You talk about the mistakes that you've made along the way, the things that you've put up with, and we're going to, to dig into that a little bit. But I love that you don't act like you have all of the answers, that you talk about your journey, you talk about wanting to help other women, but you don't pretend that you have everything all together. And I think that for women, we want to hear that, that real story. Very often we hear about survivors of domestic abuse survivors of poor childhoods and you know it's a happily ever after story but that's not real life because we bring the struggles and traumas with us through the rest of our lives and and I love your authenticity that's one of the reasons that I wanted you to be a guest on today's show so with that being said tell me a little bit about yourself and, and tell the listeners your story okay one, I want to, you know, uh, clarify something. I'm not really the author of it. I'm the inspiration behind it. Bobby Bean is the actual author. She's the one that wrote the book. She took my story and she turned it into this um, fantastic story where all the all the stories in there are true. That some of them just didn't happen that way. She put her little spin on it. So about three years ago, before the pandemic, no, not even three years, maybe four years ago, before the pandemic, I want to build a community center. That's my heart to build community centers and you know ask the lord i'm very spiritual i believe in god not in religion but <laughs> um yeah. you know i'm like how are we going to fund this and and god they basically said tell your story so that that's where this journey kind of began but where my journey really began was the fact when i was eight years old i suffered a major loss and because of that major loss it left a hole in my heart so when I was 17, I met my ex-husband and he kind of filled that hole in my heart. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he was he, I, like, I substituted him for my, like, I felt like I got my brother back. Mm -hmm. And 
So let, um, let me interrupt there. Let's talk a little bit about this loss. When you were young, you were very close to your older brother. And how many years older than you was he? I he was he was I was eight. He was eighteen years older than he me. was eighteen years older than you. So older brother that you kind of saw as your. Oh, I'm so sorry, he was sixteen years older than. Me. Sixteen years older than you. Okay, so he's sixteen years older than you. You see him as your protector. And both of your parents were blind. Is that correct? Yes, that's very correct. <laughs> but both of your parents were correct. So, so you have this big brother who you're close to, despite the years difference, because he can be the eyes and ears for you. He can be your protector, and he sees you for who you are, and he loves you. And in the book, you mention, you know, that your your dad never told you you were beautiful, but not because he didn't think you were, but because he literally couldn't see you. So. When you go through this loss, you lose this really strong male role model in your life. And then you right. have parents who, you know, for, for, they loved you. And I think you had a good relationship with them from what I could see and what I could read in the book. They were, you know what? For blind parents, they did their absolute best. Yes. And I think that's I amazing. No complaints. And what, you know, I didn't think about talking about this on the show, but now that you mention it, I think there's a lesson there for every single parent. I think most of us want to do our absolute best, but sometimes we don't see, in your case, literally, but in our cases, figuratively, what exactly it is that our kids need because they may have needs that we are unable to see. So you grew up in this challenging environment, but you had this role model, this protector, this big brother, and then he died while you were young. So you grow up with this kind of hole, this person that was there for you, that was your rock. He passes away. Now you go to high school. You're looking for somebody to tell you that you're beautiful. You're looking for somebody to be your protector. And of course, like any strong strapping athlete, teenage boy, this guy walks into your life, tells you you're beautiful tells you he's going to protect you, tell you he's going to take care of you. And we've all been there before. Head over heels in love. Here we go. So tell us what happened next. <laughs> so, so, and the funny thing is, is we, you know, we went to high school since the 10th grade together and he dated my next door neighbor, you know, read the book. I never looked at him. Like I never looked at him. And then he, then, you know, one day I'm like, oh my God, he's, just like my brother, like, you know, he's, you know, just like my, and it, and honestly, it, like once I realized that it was just love at first sight, you know, and we were peanut butter and jelly. And the first time that he hit me, I can honestly, honestly say, oh my, I was like, oh my God, he really loves me. Like I was mad at first, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, wait a minute, you want to fight? <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> but then, I, then like, you know, you know, the madness went away and I was like, oh, he really loved me. Yeah. Because I grew up that where, where, where I grew up seeing that, you know, that we, when two people love it and not my parents, my, my father would have never put his hands on my mother, yeah. but, but my, my father's father did it. I see. And, okay. and that's the reason why. And, you know, and then I grew up with other, you know, I, I really can't get into it because she's not here to defend herself. Mm -hmm. And so, but I grew up watching other members of my family go through domestic violence, but I just thought it was the two people who loved each other. This is what you did. Right. You know, when you got free, you hit. <laughs> I think that there's, and it's a common problem for women and men alike, right? Because when there's violence involved, it's because the emotions are heightened. 
And so you start to get confused. Well, if, if he didn't love me, he wouldn't get that mad. If he didn't care, he, he wouldn't do this. And so in the book, you say that when he first hit you, you didn't know how to react. And later you asked yourself, and I, and I underlined it, was it my fault that he hit me? Because, and one of the things that, again, I love your authenticity throughout the book and in talking with you, you take a lot of ownership for your role in this. There were times where you would yell and scream at him. There were times when, when you would kind of, you know, hit him first. Those things happen too. And that doesn't make it okay, but you do take ownership for your part in, in that. So talk to me about, tell me about the first time for the listeners who haven't read the book, the first time he hit you, you guys were teenagers, you were in the car, what happened? So, okay. So like I said, there's just some stories that they just didn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is one of them. Okay. So the first time we were home and we were arguing and I said something like, I, I have a real slick mouth. Mm -hmm. And so I said something, I can't remember exactly what I, what I said, but I know it was the lines of, well, if you don't want me, I'll go find somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that like triggered him. Right. And the I know he was, he punched me in my leg and I was like, and that's what kind of caused me to think, oh, well, he really loves me because he couldn't stand hearing me say that I was going to go find somebody else. And so when it happened, I was shocked, like, because this is the first time he's ever put his hands on me. And like I said, we were peanut butter and jelly. Mm -hmm. So what what's going on here? Mm -hmm. So then afterwards, you know, he calmed down. He realized what he did. He got me ice for my leg. You know, he, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. And it didn't happen again until we got to college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when he said he was sorry, I thought, okay, he really is sorry. He realized he messed up. You know, we were back to being peanut butter and jelly again. And it wasn't until we got to college and he wanted to go off. Um, one thing I tell people when you want to go to college with, you know, somebody that you love, don't bring sand to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like he wanted, but see, the thing is, is I didn't realize he wanted me there so he can keep an eye on me. And, and, but I thought he wanted me there because he loved me and he wanted to be with me. But then when, you know, when he wanted to spend time with his friends, I was like, wait a minute, but I came here to be with you. Yeah. So that caused tension between us. And then finally one day I just had enough. Like I, I just had enough. Well, and to that that first time he hit you and then he apologized and you forgave right. him and i do know that you that in the book bobby writes about you if he really wanted to hurt me he would have and in right. this situation i mean he didn't punch you in the face he punched you in the legs and in your mind you're thinking well if he really i mean this guy's bigger than me he's an athlete if he really wanted to hurt me he could have done a lot more damage he didn't really want to hurt me he was just showing me that i hurt his feelings that must have loves me. So going back to then, you've got daughters. If that happened to your daughters, if you could talk to your younger self, what would you tell yourself in that moment? What do you wish you had known in that moment that could have changed the path of the rest of your life? Okay. My younger self, I would have get a bat and knock him out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And teach him a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> the Christine right now, I would have probably called the police. Yeah. I would have. Because you just assaulted me. 
There you go. And now you're going to go to jail. Right. And now you're, now, now you're going to think about ever putting your hands on another woman again, because now you suffer the, re the repercussion. Because right. that honestly is the best solution. Right. And I do, I want the listeners to hear this. Is there a time when, when we as women, when, when men in relationships, when, when the other person provokes bad behavior, possibly, but never does that warrant physical assault. And so I like what you said. If somebody assaults you, your responsibility to yourself, to that person, to your children, to anybody that they could possibly have a relationship with in the future is to call the police and report the assault. It doesn't matter if you think he hits you because he loves you. He didn't. Right. Love does not hurt. And I think that, you know, one of the things too that, that we hear very often is, you know, he said he's sorry, he's not going to do it again. Or, and I don't want to leave the men who are victims of domestic violence out of this. Just because a woman is smaller than you does not mean she has the right to put her hands on you. There, there's verbal and emotional abuse that I might talk about in an episode in the future. But when we're talking about physical abuse, you should have zero tolerance for physical abuse. I have a daughter. And I can tell you that if she told me that she got into an argument with her boyfriend and he punched her in the legs, he put his hands on her in a way that was not loving, then I would want her to leave that relationship, stop all contact, and I would want him to face consequences for that behavior. And I think that when we don't teach our daughters that, we make it okay. We make it okay. So then you you guys go to college and I, I liked that in the book, it said you wanted to go to Howard, right? That, that was, that was my dream school. I was, I was going to go to Howard. <laughs> Howard, you have this whole plan for your life. He wants to go to Cincinnati and you put your dreams on the side to follow him to his college of choice. You right. said Christine is not as important as Christine's love for him. My dreams are not as important. I love him more than I love my dreams. But when you do that, you're saying, I love him more than I love myself. And yeah. so you set yourself, you put yourself in a box in the closet in your parents' house and you followed him to pursue his dreams. So tell me about your experiences with him in college. So, like, okay. So when he, um, he got a, he got a scholarship to, to University of Cincinnati, a full one, full ride, didn't have to pay a dime. So when he got the scholarship, he asked me to go and I, I'm, I'm head over heels. This is the man of my dreams. I like one day I, I have a vivid memory. I was putting his tie on. I was helping him with his tie. And at that moment, I said, this is the man that I'm going to marry. So when he asked me to go to college with him, I was flabbergasted. I didn't even think about Howard anymore. Howard was a distant memory. <laughs> Because I wanted to go with, you know, I wanted to go with him. I was going to marry him. We were going to get married, have children. You know, this is just our, our road. And so when we got to college, that's when I can honestly say that I should have realized he didn't love me. He didn't really love me. He was just being, he, he just wanted me under his thumb. He just didn't want anyone else to have me. That's like the honest thing. Like if, if, if I'm being extremely transparent, that's what it was. He just, he didn't want me, but he didn't want anyone else to have. I was his possession. I was his trophy. You know, this look at, you know, and I can get her to do whatever I want her to do. Um, do you see that at the time? Or do you think at the time you thought, well, he doesn't want anybody else to have me because he loves me. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and not that he doesn't, I, and I didn't think that, see, I wish I could tell his story too, mm -hmm. because his story is not, his story is not too, too distant from our story. 
Mm-hmm. It's learned behavior. That's I can say that it's learned behavior. Yeah. And he, I don't want to, I don't want to make light of it and say that he didn't know any better, but he really didn't know any better. Yeah. You know, he saw something that he wanted. He knew that I was a, I was an intelligent young woman. He knew that I had goals. He knew that I had dreams. And but he, he's a narcissist. He's he's a class A narcissist and not to diagnose anybody, you know, that I don't want to diagnose him, but he thought that I can have my cake and I can eat it too, which a lot of what I'm noticing in this single lifestyle right now is that's a lot of men. Yeah, it is. There's <laughs> way too many men out there that want their cake and eating it too. Yeah. I want to ask you a tough question. Two tough questions. First, you were with him for 25 plus years, right? Right. You still have feelings for him. He's the father of your children. You know what? No, I don't. Yeah. No, I, I, there have been some things in these last two years that I have found out. Yeah. And I am the type of person that I will love you and I will love you. But then when I find out you're different than what I thought you were, because he kept me in a box. So I never knew the real him. Yeah. And when I got out of the box, I got to see the real him. And I'm like, ooh, Christine, how could you be in love with that? Yeah. So here's the second tough question. You just said that you think for him this was learned behavior, right? So I'm assuming that means he came from from an environment where there was abuse in the family, and this was something that he had witnessed growing up. Do you think that by saying this was a learned behavior, that we're making excuses for abusers? Because there are plenty of people who grow up in abusive households who do not grow up to abuse. So do you think that that makes excuses for them? No, I'm not making, no, I don't think it's an excuse. I mean, it is, okay, that's like a, that's like a two-edged sword because it is an excuse, but it's, it, you have to understand, in order to solve the problem, you first have to, have to, to find the root of the problem. Right. So it, 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 I, it, that's the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that, it's like, okay, how do we unlearn this? How do we unlearn this? How do we unlearn this? How, how do we? I'm sorry. The answer is to that. It's a big question. How do we unlearn history, family history, generational curses, if you will, of abuse? How do we unlearn that? How would you feel if your daughter got hit? Yeah. Well, it's funny because your reaction is the same as mine. Well, I'd get a baseball bat, right? But that doesn't break the cycle. That actually perpetuates the cycle. Exactly. That teaches that we respond to violence with violence, which is not the solution. So I I think we stop allowing ourselves to be victims. And I don't ever want to victim blame anybody. But the first time you and I talked, the first sentence that you said to me was, I had to hold myself accountable for how I allowed him to treat me. So tell me about that, because that was a, such a powerful statement to me of not blaming yourself, but of taking responsibility for what happened. Okay, so the first thing, I left many times, but the first thing I did this time, because I saw a post on Facebook, Facebook is not all that bad, right. um, so I saw I saw a post on Facebook and it, it said, own, it said, be accountable. Yes. Be accountable for, for your part in the, 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 the situation, whatever the situation may be. Yeah. And I, so I had to sit back and I'm like, Christine, you know, you want to victim, you want to blame and, and you want to be the victim, but what were you doing that yeah. allowed it? And I, I can honestly, honestly say, because I kept going back. 
because he would leave, I would kick him out, but I would let him come back. Yeah. And I, you know, and by letting him come back, I'm subconsciously telling him that it's so this this behavior is okay. Yep. And and that's how I allowed it by not forcing him to go and get help and and honestly change his lifestyle before I took him back. I think that it's extremely powerful and it's one of the hardest things that victims of abuse do is when they finally take back their control. They take their control. Um, how do we when we're when you're talking because I know that you feel called to share your story. You feel called to talk to other women. When you're talking to other women, how do you talk to them about being accountable for their actions without blaming them? Because we know that that survivors of abuse sometimes have low self-esteem. And if we blame them, that may actually impede them leaving. So how do we, when we're talking to other people in this situation, empower them to leave and take their control back and take their strength back without making them feel blamed? Why do you feel like you deserve this? There, I love it. Why do you feel like you deserve this? Why do you feel like you don't deserve a man to, to because there are there's 7 billion people in the world. Last time I checked, mm -hmm. there are 3.5 billion men in the world because it's like a, it is like a 50, 50 split, right? right? Why do you feel like that one man out of 3.5 billion men deserves to treat you like that? I love that. It's such a powerful question. Yes. That, and, but that's what I had to keep telling myself, Christine, you deserve better. You yeah. are a good person. You, you know, you're, you know, people say you're pretty. Okay. I'll accept it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but but beyond the beauty, I'm a good-hearted person. I, I don't do anyone wrong. I, I I I root for everybody. I'm you know a good person. You know I, I I try to be as honest as I possibly can. Sometimes you know I'm I might tell a girlfriend something looks good when yeah. I don't think it looks good. But hey, she loves it, so I love it too. <laughs> you no, know, you're I'm a good person. So why do I feel like I don't deserve to be with a good person? I love. Everything you just said about telling yourself and you, you, you really right now for our listeners, you just told us how great of a person you are. And so I think for the people out there that are listening or that are watching this, that's a wonderful question that Christine posed. If you're in an abusive situation, why do you think that you deserve that? And let's talk about the good things about you, the reasons that you don't and focus on the value that you have. And to those women out there who are saying, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I don't have this. I can't stand on my own two feet. I can't do these things. What I want you to hear is you are valuable and you are worthy simply because you exist, period, yeah. period. And you may be a work in progress, but you know what? We all are a work in progress. And so if you're in one of those situations, you are valuable, you are worthy simply because you exist and everything is a work in progress and nobody again, has their right, the right to put their hands on you. And, but it's, you know what, it's so much more than, 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 than physical violence. Cheating yeah. is abuse too. I love cheating that. More. Yeah. Too. And I, and I'm so sorry. Like, well, like right now, okay, I'm single. And if I started dating and he, you know, dating other people, like right now I can do an open relationship. Mm -hmm. I can, because I don't have the time to put into a committed relationship. Right. But if I wanted to be in a committed relationship where it's just me and you. I deserve that if that's what I want. And I will be by myself before I deal with anything other. Right. Because lying, lying is emotional abuse. You're creating this 
this idea that this is the relationship that we're in, this is how we exist, but it doesn't. And I think you hear often for women who who's or men whose spouse cheats on them or partner cheats on them, that the betrayal wasn't just the cheating. Very often it was the lie that precipitated the cheating. It was, you said you were at work, but you lied. You said that you spent the $50 on dinner for you and your colleagues, but you lied. And so the cheating is is lying and it's really presenting something to somebody that's not true. And that's abusive. It's manipulation. It's, I want you to like me and accept me. So I'm going to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. And then you fall in love with that somebody that they're not. And then they remove the, the blindfold and you see everything. You realize that you fell in love with this, this aura, the something that they created for you to see finally decided to leave. One of the things, one of the things that you said was you stayed for a while because you thought it was better for the kids, better for the children. And when you, you said, you know what? It never was. Talk, talk to me first about what impact staying had on your children. Okay. There was financial stability because he, he, I, in the beginning of the marriage, in the beginning of the relationship, I was the breadwinner. I supported his dreams. I, you know, he wanted to start his own trucking business. So I worked and I, you know, I, I was, I, I was the breadwinner while he was building his business, but we had small children then. And so I needed the physical help right. um, because I, I was, I worked. So, and, and honestly, like there were positives about him being there when they were smaller because my older son was a handful. Yeah. Oh, he was. And I know him being there straightened him out. And now he graduated high school with a 3.96. He got, he went on to Susquehanna University. And I know that that was part, that partly was because his dad was there in yeah. his life, you know, being his football coach, uh, you know, making sure he was on the right path. But the negative that it had, my, my son deals with high anxiety. He yeah. has extremely high anxiety. And I, and I know that's because he had to, he had to see and deal with a lot as a child that he should not have to, have to have seen. Yeah. So would I, you know, I appreciate the 3.96 and him going on to Susquehanna University, but now this is anxiety that he is going to have to take with him to the, for the rest of his life. Right. And that I don't like. And, you know, there's one thing you just said because of what he witnessed with you. You didn't, you know, it's never mentioned in the book that your, that your children were abused. So I'm assuming they were not directly abused, correct? Okay. So, but what I would like the listeners to hear and understand is that when one parent or the other parent is abusing one, that is still abuse to the child because it affects their mental well-being. It affects their emotional well-being. It affects the way that they grow up. It affects the way that they interact in relationships going forward. And so very often women say, well, this is better for the kids. He doesn't hit the kids. He doesn't yell at the kids. He doesn't hurt the kids. He just does it to me. But for a child to watch either mom or dad abuse the other person, that is in fact abuse to the child as well, because it makes them grow up a lot faster than they have to. So I know we talked about this with your daughter. Tell me a little bit about how this affected your girls. Okay, so my oldest daughter, my oldest daughter wanted to be a makeup artist. She mm -hmm. was gonna go off to California and she's, um, she, she's a phenomenal makeup artist. I really wish she would get back into it, but she's not a starving artist. So she, yeah. so she, you know, she went into the business field, which is, is okay, but she could not leave to go to California because she was so scared that he was gonna kill me if she yeah. left. 
she thought she thought she was protecting me. She thought that, you know, by her being here and her being, you know, my voice, because she never, not one time, did not express her feelings towards him. <laughs> you know, she she let him know exactly how she felt when she felt it. She, you know, called the police a couple of times. <laughs> you know, she, but again, that caused her high anxiety. You know, yep. she can't grow her nails even to this day. She still, you know, she still bites her nails. And, but I, I will say that I'm starting to see her anxiety levels come down because I left and because she sees that I'm gone for good. Yeah. So she's a little bit more relaxed. She's a little bit more calm and she's me, her, mine and her, because our relationship was an off and on relationship because I would kept taking him back. Yeah. And I, I never wanted, and me owning like, I always made excuses to her mm -hmm. as far as, well, I need him. I need him. I need him in my life. And she wasn't trying to hear it. Yeah. She was like, you have me. Out of the babes. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you have me. And so the first time I left about three years ago, she had my back. Like, you know, I had, I got a black eye because he told me to shut up and I told him I wasn't going to shut up. And so I got smacked and she was like, that's it. That's it. And she took her whole savings. And she moved me out. Wonderful. But my dumb behind let him come back in. Yeah. Because it, a year had gone by. I thought he changed. And that crushed her. That's what I was going like, to say. Did she feel it, betrayed by you? She felt so betrayed by me. Yeah. And, and she was betrayed by me. Yeah. I did betray her. Yeah. I, 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 I own that. I betrayed her. So the next time that I left, um, and I can't really go into it because it's going to be in the second book. Yeah. <laughs> But the second time that I left, and this time it was for good, because I realized you're not going to change. I'm going to have to deal with this forever. And I, I can't do that to her anymore. You yeah. know, not, not just my younger daughter. I couldn't, I can't keep putting her through this because the, from the first time we, when we got back together to when I left, there were no incidents. Like we did, it, it, it was, you know, we, he was still cheating, but mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I can deal with that. As long as he helps me pay these bills, I, I can deal with that, <laughs> you know? And, but then there, we had an incident and I'm like, how am I going to tell my oldest daughter that this happened? Like, wow. how can I tell? But, and then also, and it was a police officer. He was in the, you know, he was in the, 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 the he was in the station and he was like, you don't deserve this. Wow. He was like, you're, you're a beautiful young woman. Like, he's stupid. You know, like he, he was just like bigging me up. And I'm like, there is no way I can call this police officer ever again. Yeah. <laughs> because he's going to be now your daughter. And so there's two things that stood out to me that you were just saying when you were sharing this story. The first is we talked about in the beginning, you gave up your dream of going to Howard to follow him. And then full circle, 20 plus years, however long it was until you had your daughter and she was ready to go, go to college. She gave up her dream to stay and protect you because of him. And what I think is really powerful in this lesson is that we as mothers teach our daughters how men should treat us. And granted, the relationship is different because this is her father, but you allowed him to let to to have to enable you to give up your dreams, right? You allowed him to take your dreams from you to follow him. And then 20 years later in the future, he was still taking dreams, but this time from your daughter. And so exactly. I think that, you know, I hope if there's 
any woman out there, any listener, any man in an abusive relationship out there that hears this, the message should be, if you're a parent, when you engage in this kind of behavior with somebody else, you are teaching your child, you're teaching your son, this is how you treat women. You're teaching your daughter, this is how men treat you. Vice versa, just because we know domestic violence doesn't happen just by men, if the woman is abusing the man, you are teaching your son that it's okay to let a woman abuse you. If a woman's abusing a man, you're teaching your daughter it's okay to hit a man. And right. I think sometimes people who grow up in abusive households, we do see a lot of women with issues where they grew up in these abusive households and mom either fought or fought back and they think it's okay to hit a man. I've got two sons. It's not okay for a woman to hit a man, just like it's not okay for a man to hit a woman. Sometimes the man is stronger. And so we see the impact of that with the black eye and, and the physical damage that's done more often. But to your point, abuse is not just physical. It's mental and it's emotional and it's not okay for either gender. I tell my sons all the time, if you put your hands on, if you put your hands on the woman, I'm going to be sitting in court with her. Yes. Like, lock him up. Good for lock you. Him up. Good. <laughs> I'm not, we're, we are not going to continue down this road. Good for you. And, and I tell both of all three of my children, you know, when you grow up, if you find yourself in a situation that's abusive or that you're not happy with, don't you ever be afraid to pick up the phone and come home. No questions asked. If you are in an abusive relationship, if you're being, you know, yelled at, if you're being emotionally manipulated, you come home because I never want my children to think that they grew up, they moved out, they got married, and now they have to fulfill this obligation. And while I do believe that marriage vows are sacred, I also believe that our value as humans and individuals is sacred and we owe it to ourselves and to our children um, and to other men and women who watch and who know what's going on to leave when we're in a situation like that. Now, one thing, one thing that I noticed, because I belong to a lot of domestic violence groups, because I'm trying to get my voice out there and I'm trying to encourage these women to leave. And a lot of them say they have nowhere to go because the first thing that an abuser does is he cuts you off from all the people that love you. I was fortunate. My friends were like, we'll be right here when she gets, when she gets back to herself, we'll be right here. Especially Bobby Bean. Bobby Bean never, she never kept quiet how she felt about my, about my ex-husband. She never kept quiet. But she was like, Christine, when you get tired, I'll be right here. <laughs> and sure enough, she was. <laughs> what, do, what do women do if they have been cut off from their friends and family? Or they really are isolated. They don't have any money. And what do you do? You go to a domestic violence shelter. If there's not one in your city, if there's not one in your state, then you, you pack up your car. See, I think a lot of women don't want to leave the big house. They don't want to leave the cars. They don't want to leave the financial stability. So they don't want to go into a shelter. Like, I know I didn't want to go into a shelter. Mm -hmm. And through the grace of God, I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. But if it was a different financial situation, I would have had to have gone into a shelter. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it, it, I, I, I firmly, firmly believe it was only God that got me out of that situation. Right. Because he knew I, I, I would have been that woman that stayed because I didn't want to go into a shelter. So mm -hmm. I understand why they, you know, no one wants to go into a shelter. But the, the good news is, is that once you get out of the relationship, once you go into that shelter, you're going to get a peace of mind back. And then you're going to be able to go out into the workforce. You're going to be able to get a job. 
You're going to be able to have financial stability. You're going to be able to get all those things that that man gave you. You're going to be able to get it on your own. Yeah. And this time you don't have to sleep with one eye open. You know, right. and that's what that's what a lot of women don't realize that yes, it's going to be a struggle in the beginning, but it's going to be worth the struggle at the end. Right. Because at the end, you end up standing on your own two feet. You don't end up knocked down in your kitchen. Yes. You Thank know, you. that's something that, it, you know, I, I try to be as honest and straightforward and blunt as possible. If your options are being in in a shelter or being in a coffin, which one do you pick? Thank you. That, and, I, and that's the bottom line. Yeah. So do you know any women who have gone through the shelter route and been able to reestablish themselves successfully? I've heard stories. Yeah. I, I don't know any personally, but I've heard like, I, 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 first thing I would tell a woman is to join all the domestic violence groups on Facebook that you can, mm -hmm. because you're going to hear a lot of, you're going to have a lot of trigger stories, but yeah. you're going to hear a lot of stories where women have found love again. Oh, those, those are the ones I really love. Yeah. <laughs> but they found love again. And those who haven't found love again, they found peace. They, you know, they, they, they got their, when they get their own apartment, you know, they're like, it's not much, but it's mine. And yeah. I don't have to worry about coming home and what mood is he going to be in today? Right. You know, they can watch what they want to watch. Uh, one thing for me, one thing I did. And so I was never allowed to wear like tight clothes and stuff like that or wear makeup or, you know, go out looking like real, real pretty. Like, you know, I always had to play it down. You right. know? Then I would have to hear his mouth. Oh, who you trying? You trying to attract people, whatever, whatever. Now, mm -hmm. when I go out, I try to look the best that I can. Good for you. you. Know, I, for I, you? You know, I wear, this, I wear the tightest clothes. <laughs> 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 I wear a leggings. For you. And you know, there's and low shirts. <laughs> this is a topic for a whole nother episode, but just because a woman dressed a certain way doesn't mean she's dressing that way for a man. Maybe she's dressing that way for herself. Can I get it? <laughs> yes, thank you. And, yes. and, and, but that was how, you know, but that's why I tell women, like, once you leave, like you, cause I didn't even realize I missed that. You know, I didn't even realize that I missed that part of me, yeah. that part that wanted to get dressed up. Another thing I, I used to not go for walks and stuff like that because then he would accuse me of meeting someone around the block. So I started going for walks. Yeah. And there's so much peace and freedom and doing the things that you love to do and not have to worry about somebody, you know, arguing with you about doing the things that you love. Right. And okay. that that's one thing that I love about the Facebook groups and stuff like that. Cause you hear a lot of those stories. Like you hear a lot of women taking their, their strength back. Do you wish you had left sooner? I wish I left 10 years ago. My daughter is my youngest daughter is 11. In January, in January, she was born in 2010. January 2011, I found out that he cheated on me for the first time when we were married. Mm -hmm. You know, he cheated on me when we were boyfriend and girlfriend, but I was like, that don't count. You know, he was boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> but it did count. It was kind of showing me. Yeah, he should have been a red flag, right? It was a, it was a huge red flag, but I thought that was a carnival. I saw that, I saw that on Facebook. <laughs> so when I found out that he was still cheating on me, that's, that's the moment that I wish I would have left. Yeah. Not, but not a minute, not before that, because I love my kids. Yeah. I do. And for as bad as it was, I would not trade them for anything in this world. And for me to say that I wish I left sooner, it's like, okay, so do I leave before Christian was born or do I leave before my youngest daughter was born? You know what I mean? Do I regret now? You you get into down there. They're listening to this and they're like, okay, does she regret having me? 
Yeah. And no, never. I, I would do it all over again for the, for, for my children. Now, if I was guaranteed, God came down and said, Christine, I'm going to give you these kids, but just with somebody else. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> your life. I mean, you would have a totally different life. Exactly. But I think that sometimes we can look at the bad things that we go through and we can see where they brought us. So tell me, where are you now? How are you now? Okay, so I, we wrote the book. The book is doing really well. Bobby and Ariel, Bobby Bean and Ariel Underwood are doing a stage play in Cincinnati. Hopefully Tyler Perry will see it and, you know, he'll, he'll decide he wants to do plays again. <laughs> or maybe T.D. Jakes, one of them. I don't know. <laughs> one of them will pick it up. And, and we'll start traveling and doing that. But also, I want to be a voice for women. I want to encourage women to leave these abusive relationships and hitting, and, and, and it's not just hitting, it's cheating too. And there's a lot of cheating going on out here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, hopefully my voice will be heard. But right now I'm working for a company called Strictly Restaurants. I'm in accounting. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to go back to work because starving artist is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And through the pandemic, I can honestly say I was blessed. You know, I kept food on the table. I kept the lights on. But that, that's all I did. So I, I had to go back to work. But hopefully my goal is to make a movie out of this book. That, that's what I want to do. Because I feel as though there are a lot of young girls that are going through what I went through. And they think it's normal. Yeah. And we have to change that narrative. You do have to. It's not normal. It's not normal. And I will, you know, I want to end this with a, a kind of a personal story. I grew up in an alcoholic household. I mentioned this to you when, when we were talking. And um, my parents were violent with each other. My mom's actually here visiting me right now in Colorado. And I talked to her about this yesterday. So they were violent with each other, never with us. And they argued and yelled and screamed. And that was the norm. It didn't even occur to me that it wasn't normal until I got older. And I realized the, 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 yell, the yelling and screaming I still thought was normal. That's just how people communicate. That's the way that I was raised. That's what I thought. I knew the violent part wasn't normal. But then when I got married and we argued and, you know, yelled and fussed and fought, it wasn't as bad as what they did. It wasn't as bad as it was when I grew up. So I thought that must be normal. But that's because my, my threshold for normal was off. You know, it, and I remember my ex-husband telling me, well, I don't hit you. I don't cheat on you. And me thinking, you know, he's right. And even in a discussion with my grandmother, who I was very close to until she passed away a few years ago, she would say, you're so lucky to have him. He doesn't hit you. He doesn't cheat on you. He's a great dad to the kids. But I would come home every day to arguing, to fighting, to that conflict. Again, not realizing it's not normal to come home and fight every day. And so do people have, you know, issues with communication? Do people have arguments? Yes. But fighting every day is not normal. And so for people who grew up in abusive households, I think that resetting that baseline, understanding what your threshold is and where you may have skewed views of what an abusive relationship looks like, it's something really powerful that women can do. And I know that that you're there to support women that are going through this. So how can our listeners, if they want to find you on social media, if they want to reach out to you, how can they find you so that you can help if you need to put them in touch with the right resources? So Blue Blind Eyes has its own page on Facebook. And if you DM me or, or send me a notification through there, I will get back to you in less than 24 hours. But I'm also on Instagram at Christine Mayo, two thirds podcast. 
Again, that's Christine Mayo, Two Thirds Podcast on Instagram. Now, if you want to email me, you don't want to do it through social media, you can email me at throughblindeyes at yahoo.com and I will get back to you. And the, the one thing that I will say is don't think that I'm going to hold your hand. No one hold held my hand and I'm not going to hold anyone's hand. Right. So if you don't want to hear the, the, the raw, honest truth, then I'm probably not the person you want to talk to. Yeah. I have learned through activities that recent activities is that I can no longer take the BS. Right. You know, if you are, if, if your significant other, man, woman, whatever it may be, is not treating you right, then you need to extract yourself from that situation. Love it. Yep. Love it. So that's the big idea, I think, for our listeners today. If you're not being treated right by somebody in a relationship, regardless of what that relationship is or what it looks like, you need to extract yourself, in Christine's words, from that situation and stand up for yourself and save yourself. Because to Christine's point, she doesn't um, sugarcoat anything. The person who's got to save you is you. And sometimes we are called to be our own heroes. So I think that if you're listening to this right now, this is your sign that if you are in an unhealthy relationship, extract yourself. And there are resources. There is support out there. There are people like Christine who have who have been in this, who have gone back and forth in these same toxic type relationships, who have come out on the other side. You can see from her story that she is moving forward. She admits that it's still a struggle, but she is getting there. So if you want to read more about her story, it's called Through Blind Eyes by Christine Mayo and Bobby Bean. It is on Amazon, and there will be a link on my social media and my webpage. And of course, you can reach out to Christine. She'll send you links too. She's been a great guest. I'm sure that she and I will continue to be great friends. I invited her to come hang out with me in the mountains of Colorado, and she said, don't invite me because I'm going I'm to come. I'll be knocking on your door. You'll be like, oh, she took me seriously. <laughs> and all your kids and let's go explore the mountains. We'll have a good time. But we'll have a great time. We'll have a great time. So thank you everybody for listening to the So She Did podcast today. Thank you, Christine, for being on the show today. I appreciate you. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your willingness to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of these abusive relationships and be real with our listeners. And I hope everybody will tune in for the next episode. Thank you so much. I, I so appreciate you. This was wonderful. <laughs> this was so wonderful. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the So She Did podcast. For more information, to be on the show, or to work directly with Kristen, please visit www.soshedidempire.com. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends on social media and leave a positive review. We would love to hear from you. 